For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Read New City Catechism question 40 with me. What should we pray? The whole word of God directs and inspires us in what we should pray, including the prayer Jesus himself taught us. Eden. Well, our questions are continuing on the subject of prayer. Uh, we're on question 40 with what is prayer? And we've covered some subjects on prayer, but we will continue to. Our text today was Ephesians 3, 14 to, through 21. Uh, what should we pray? Uh, this answer says the whole word of God directs and inspires us in what we should pray, including the prayer Jesus himself taught us. So most of us know that, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at that specifically next week uh, is the, the question and, and the answer as it deals specifically with that. So today I'll be looking at, looking at specifically that the whole Word of God directs and inspires us in what we should pray. So I don't know if you've ever, you know, how you know about God, but how we know about God is through His revealed written Word. He wants us to know him. He has protected his word, uh, and it's available in multiple languages. Still the number one sold uh, book in the world all the time. And when the gospel reaches a new uh, people group, one of the first things that happens is, is they got to take the Bible and translate it into their language. Getting the word of God revealed in their language is so powerful because it reveals who God is. And what does the word do? Also, it inspires and, and directs us in what we should pray, how we should pray. We read. In fact, the, the Lord's Prayer is the model that the Lord gave us, pray like this, pray in this manner. And he gives us this outline of how to pray for. And prayer is this big, broad word that means all these things, uh, hallowed be your name, worship, adoration, praise, that's all prayer. Prayer's this big thing. We read it even in Timothy today about offer up supplications, prayers, uh, petitions, thanksgivings. So all those are prayer. Those are all types of prayers. 
And today, we're looking at a real broad subject. You could look through the whole Bible, since the whole Bible instructs us on how to pray. Uh, you look at those prayers, and they're models for us. Like, how do we pray? I found one thing really interesting. I hope this helps you. Sometimes it does or doesn't. Things help me that might not help you. But when I was looking at Mary's prayer, do you remember Mary's prayer, Mary's Magnificat, they call it? That prayer, how beautiful it is, her prayer. When I was looking at that uh, and reading some commentaries on it, they said this mirrors Hannah's prayer. Wow, you go all the way back to Samuel, uh, the mother of Samuel, Hannah, and when she was uh, blessed with Samuel, she says this prayer, and she has this prayer. And so, obviously, Mary knew that prayer, and basically what her Magnificat is, is the prayer of Hannah. I mean, if you go back and read it in Samuel, and then you read her prayer, it's this way. And so we get our inspiration from God's word about how people are praying in the Bible. We read those prayers, and then when we pray, the Holy Spirit just goes, hey, you remember when you read Hannah's prayer? Praise this out to God, and Mary does hers. And Well, you know, I mean, hers is beautiful too, and it's praise, and she's the mother of our, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, and Hannah's the mother of Samuel, but a lot of similarities there in their prayers. So basically the, the emphasis of today is that we pray God's word. We look in God's word and we see these models of prayer and we pray that way. It helps instruct us to pray effectively and powerfully in the way that we should pray. So that's hard to pick out a prayer that covers a lot of things, but this prayer is a prayer by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3 that we read, uh, and it's just a very powerful prayer. Now this prayer begins with, for this reason. It's interesting. For this reason. Now we know it goes on to say, I bow my knees. Does that remember for you a type of prayer? Supplication, bowing. Folding, bending, humbly, about to request. So this bowing knee is that supplications and prayers. We talked about some of that last week. We see that bowing my knees before the Father. The Apostle Paul is praying right now for the church. He's not praying just for an individual. I know we in America think individualistically, uh, but their culture really thought prayer, even the Lord's prayer, is our Father. It's not, you know, it's not a my thing, not an individual. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, and he's praying in a broad sense for all believers, for the church as a whole. And so we see that big picture there. For this reason, I bow my knees. We see this prayer. And so I want to look at first just for this reason, because when you see that, there's this phrase that he started that chapter with, I always like to see the broad picture of like, okay, where's this prayer? What's going on? For what reason? Okay, that's my first question, right? For this reason, what reason? Is he bringing, coming to this place of bowing before the Father? Praying. What has brought him to this? So you look at Ephesians 3.1, and he started the chapter this way. He said, for this reason, I, Paul the Apostle, you know, and he's beginning to like start this prayer because of all that he has said in Ephesians 2. For all of this reason, everything that God has done in Christ in you, 
I'm about to pray. But then he doesn't. He says, for this reason, but then he kind of, wait, I got to tell you something else before I pray. I got to tell you something else about you and how you are in Christ. And then he gets to our text and prays. But then, if you know kind of maybe a little bit how my brain works and a lot of people who study the Bible, you go back and you look at, he had another prayer in Ephesians where he said, for this reason. So you just look at that phrase and you just start reading back, for this reason, okay, here. But he said, for this reason, at 3-1. And then you go back to Ephesians 1, and he has another prayer there where he says, for this reason. And so you go back and look at that, and this is what he says in Ephesians 1. So this is kind of his first prayer over the church in Ephesus, church as a whole, you as a believer in church today. For this reason, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Oh, I just feel, I know people have written a lot of things about the Apostle Paul, you know, because he has some hard sayings. But man, if you really read his, his uh, prayers, I sense a man of great compassion and love pouring out of his heart. So he says, remembering you in my prayers, never ceasing to give thanks for you. Wow, there's somebody giving thanks for me, thanks for the church that existed, thanks for these, these church people at Ephesus giving thanks for me, remembering me in, in his prayers, the Apostle Paul. Wow, I don't know, that just does something for me. And it does something for me when people here say, I'm, I'm praying for you, Pastor, praying for you all the time, praying for you. I'm like, wow, really? Really? And I really miss people that used to tell me that all the time. Like uh, Karen's mom, Mother Ingrid. She would just get me everything and she would call me, boy, you must be going through some stuff today. I was praying and, you know, the Lord took me and praying for you for like an hour. I just kept praying for you. What's going on? <laughs> and, uh, you know miss those kind of things but so it's special here I, the, the the heart of the apostle is coming out here I'm remembering you in my prayers i'm giving thanks for you and uh, i would think people would complain about me <laughs> but giving thanks like appreciation i'm glad for this person i'm glad for this church at, at ephesus and what they're doing uh, the apostle paul is saying and then he he comes to this place of not just thanksgiving uh for them but a place of request. This always happens in prayer. Prayer, a big part of prayer, you know, prayer is asking. It's that request part. Let your request be made known, we looked at last week. So a, part, a big part of it is that. And he begins to request something. And I think this really helps us pray. Like, what do you pray for other people? What do you pray for your children, grandchildren, your parents, your husband, your spouse, you know, wife, you know, all of these things. What, what do you pray uh, for God to do in and through his church well, here he, he begins, this is what the apostle asked for in Ephesians 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, like who are you addressing right now? Uh, make that clear. He's just like Jesus, our Father who art in heaven. So here Paul is saying, who, 
Who is God? Now, God used to be, you know, God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A lot of prayers in the Old Testament are like that. They're addressing God. But here in the New Testament, you see that shift of who uh, God is the father of and God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you sense that prayer of, of to the father through Jesus. And then he begins to immediately ask for the spirit, the Holy Spirit. So you see the triune God. You know, right here in prayer, in this prayer, you see, I'm asking the Father, all glory in Jesus, through Jesus, that the Spirit, capital S, this is the Holy Spirit, do what? Here's the, the request. So who, who are you addressing? Spend some time in that. And then may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Oh, I like wisdom. I need wisdom. Lord, it says, ask for wisdom, and he'll give it. He'll give it liberally, James says. Ask for wisdom. You need wisdom. And, and you church at Ephesus, and you church at Grace Harvest, and you here at the, you need wisdom in your life. You're making decisions all the time. You need that wisdom. And revelation. Whew, like that's something above just wisdom. That's like revealed something that might be, you know, hidden. Uncover something, you know, that I can't see. That revelation. What? In the knowledge of Jesus. Now, you may think you need a lot of wisdom and revelation for a lot of things, but the apostle says what you need the Spirit for is to give you wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Oh, I already know Jesus. Let's get on to something else. You hopefully do know some things about Jesus, but what he's going to pray for is more. You need more, and you need somebody praying for you every day that you will have more. And that's what this prayer is about. He knows, if you look at the first part of Ephesians 1, who they are in Christ. Now, he knows that they've been blessed in Christ and all the spiritual, Ephesians 1, 3. They're blessed in Christ. All the blessings of Christ are theirs in heavenly places in them. That he's adopted them as their children. That they have that sense of knowledge of being loved. That they've been adopted into God's family. And he, he proclaims all of that. And then he says the, the Spirit, he's talked about the Holy Spirit, has sealed you. He's the one that seals that revelation knowledge and saving knowledge being adopted into his love. So he's, he's announced all that. And now he's here and he says, for this reason, I know you all this, you know, I want to encourage you in your faith. I want to strengthen you in your faith. And I want to pray for you that you have more of all that. And so he, he begins to open this up in prayer. That they, they would have this spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. What kind of knowledge? What kind of knowing of him? Well, it's a deep knowing of him. It's not just, there's different words in the Greek. Greek is a real beautiful language of just knowing because we know about we know about a lot of things. We might say we know uh, Tom Cruise. We don't know Tom Cruise. We know about Tom Cruise or pick your favorite, you know, whoever, you know, actor. We know about a lot of people and things, but we don't know people like this is saying. This, this knowledge of, uh, you know, not just gnosis, knowing about, but epigenosis, like experiential knowledge. You know, I've sat with this person. I've heard their heart. I I know them. He's praying this kind of knowledge that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. So you'd think of eyes that you would see, but he's like going in something different that you can see with your heart, like experientially know him in deeper and more ways. 
then you know him now. Come on, church. This is the apostle praying for these church folks. This is how we can pray for one another. And this is how the word of God is still praying for us here in this text. The eyes of your heart being light that you may know what is the hope. Do you need some hope? We do. We need hope. Everything's attacking hope, tearing down hope. We need to be encouraged in hope to which he has called you. What is his purposes in you? What has he called you to? What is the hope of your calling to? He, he's praying that that hope to which he has called you, that you'll be enlightened to that, that your heart will know the hope that he's called you to. And then he goes on in, in praying what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's talking about kind of a, a thought of the church, like all of you all, all of you. He said, in the beginning verse in Ephesians 1.15, he says, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. There's this idea of the church that the Apostle Paul is praying for, the saints, all of them, and then the glorious uh, power that is to be uh, given to all the saints. In verse 19, he says, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you believe today do you believe on the lord jesus christ putting your trust in him well there is an immeasurable that means you can't measure it power that is given towards you the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working what kind of power what kind of power are you talking about that's been given to me as a believer maybe i know a little bit about it he's praying for more According to the working of his great might. What working of his great might? Verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. Exalted. So raised him. Resurrection power. That's the kind of power he's talking about. The power that raised Christ from the dead. He's praying. This is the kind of power and access that you have as a believer. This kind of power. When he raised him from the dead and exalted. Seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And then he just kind of goes into this is the power that he wants you as a believer to know that you have and that you have access to and to delve deeper into that. But then he just goes into this prayer, kind of like a praise of who Jesus is. He's like, I want you to know, yeah, resurrected, exalted. And then what he says, this Jesus, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age well what about other ages other times before and to come paul just wants you to know and the god wants you to know through his holy word any age <laughs> of all time there is not another coming some religions say that yeah jesus and then these others came you know after so no in in, in this age and also in the one to come he has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things. Now, this is a final finale thing over the church. He's bringing that back in. Ephesians is a book about the church, about the believers together, coming together, the power of the church. Universal, all, you know, all, all the church, all over the world believers, but also specifically this church at Ephesus and specifically for us just here at Grace Harvest today. All things to the church. Jesus is the head. His body. So the church is his body. His body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is modeling 
what to pray. That's our question today. Why do we pray? The whole word of God instructs us and stirs the desire of what to pray. And he's given us this model. And when you look at this, you can pray. You don't have to even remember my sermon. You can go, oh, what was that? Ephesians 1, I'm going to read that prayer. And you can pray that. And you go, okay, what was our text? Ephesians 3, you can go and read that and pray that. I mean, it's right there, these prayers. Look at them, read them. And you'll find that when you're praying things, these things come. The Holy Spirit goes, remember that? Remember Paul's prayer? Pray like that. Pray that the eyes of their heart be enlightened, that they may have the knowledge of him, grow in that knowledge. Pray this. And you see, he brings these things, right, to our remembrance, the Holy Spirit, when we're praying. But we've got to put something in there. We've got to put the word in there. And he draws on it in our prayer life. The Word of God inspires and directs us. The whole Word of God inspires us and directs us in what we should pray. So we got to be a Word-saturated people to be a good prayer, effectual people. People who are effectual in our prayer lives. Got to soak in the Word. Paul's modeling that for us. He began with thanksgiving. So you start praying for people. You don't go, huh, I've got to complain to you, God, about this person. No, with thanksgiving, remember of these saints of yours that are walking in this journey of faith with you. Remember them in your prayers with thanksgiving. Remember who you're addressing. Just get into that mode. The Father of all glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm coming to you, Father. And you see these requests, these supernatural, powerful requests that we need in our lives. One of the things that he prayed for, and we're going to see a lot of these things repeated in our text in Ephesians 3, but a lot of these things are repeated. We need to be strengthened. Man, don't we wear down? And don't we wear down pretty quick? You know? And we need this power. We need this supernatural power from God, and he prays it, and then we just need to end and just praise him. Man, Jesus, you're the name above every other name. Your name in all ages to come, past, forward, past. You've been exalted at the right hand. I see you, Jesus. You know, just give some time of praise. That's what prayer is. The whole word of God instructs us in how to pray. And when our prayer lives begin to grow in that, you're like, well, I do that. That's good. But it can be extended. It can grow and the depth of it can grow. And we want to be a praying people and a praising people. I love this, talking about where he was praying, you know, that you may know Christ and that, uh, that resurrection power, how much we need that. What kind of power do we need? Romans 8.11 said this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, And the answer to that is, yes, he does. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He's asking if the Spirit dwells in you like that. And as a believer, he does. He says, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. He's just saying that's the kind of strength and power that's available for you to overcome in this particular text, overcome to take temptations, to overcome sin. See, this kind of resurrection power is the power that actually changes a person's life. It actually has the power to change a sinful heart. This is the only power available to us to do this. Other are very temporal 
uh, ways that the world offers to bring about some uh, transformation in a purpose life. But this is the ultimate power of the resurrected Jesus in and through the church working to help people overcome sin in their life and the bondages of sin. And, they can, and, they're, and they're manifold. And they're manifold in the victory and power through the church to overcome sin. But we see Paul praying for believers. We see that what we pray is all this whole category of things besides request. And so we see then after that prayer, Paul goes back to reminding them in Ephesians chapter 2 about all that God has done in saving them. So he, he ends his prayer. And then he starts telling them, remember when you all were all dead in your trespasses and sins? Yeah, that's how you used to be. Kind of reminds them of that. I don't need to be that brought up. Paul, are you bringing that? But he reminds them of grace. And sometimes you just got to remember, you know, what God brought you out of. Remember when you were all dead in your sins and trespasses? And then he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Then he goes into this where his workmanship, and he talks about uniting the church together. Like you all are a bunch of Gentiles, and you're actually his workmanship that he's carving and chiseling on you and making you into this beautiful building along with Jewish people. So the whole rest of Ephesians 2 is about how God, his workmanship, is working in you to make you into his beautiful bride. He uses more of the analogy of which Paul does use in Ephesians 5 about the church and the bride. He's going to use that analogy later. But right here he uses building kind of uh, uh, analogies and he, he's talking about more like stones being built together and built upon a foundation and that foundation is Jesus and he's working so he reminds them of all of that right and then he gets to three where he says for this reason and, he, and you're like okay let me have the prayer again you reminded me of all this and Jew and Gentile taking this profound thing building us together making his church you know, and I'm a part of it. I'm like this little stone that he's worked on that's fitted me in with this whole beautiful community that he's making, man. The, the church is, is social, man. It's community. It's, it's all he's doing. And so he's working in that. We, can, we can't just be on our own. We, we have to be fitted in. And that's what he's saying. We're his workmanship, fitted in, Jew and Gentile even. I mean, cross-cultural of every... And then Revelation, uh, I think I wrote down, Revelation 7, 9 talks about this community Uh, that John saw in Revelation, he said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and all, you want to look at a mixed, you know, diversity of a community from every tribe. God is going to save and bring together in his church people from every tribe and tongue. That means every language that has existed. And there's lots of languages out there. From every language he's saving people. Uh, All tribes, peoples, languages, peoples, nations, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You're part of that. You know, me, Bobby Barnett. I'm a little stone in there with all these other nations, peoples, tribes, ethnicities, you know, everything all together that he has saved, that he's brought to be his people, his church. And we are a part of that. And Paul says, for this reason, you're like, all right, come on, pray. What's this prayer for us now in Ephesians 3? And then he goes back to, oh, I want to tell you something else. And you're like, what? Come on. Let's, let's get to our text. But he just goes and he, he waxes again into this church 
that, that he, uh, the Apostle Paul, is specifically called to Gentiles. He's this Jewish man that has this calling to go reach Gentiles. You know, I mean, go into all the, the, the world for him was a specific calling to go to the Gentiles. All the other nations uh, is, is what that means. And so he does, and he, he, he reminds them of his special calling to preach to the Gentiles. What? The unsearchable riches of Christ unsearchable riches of christ so that through the church again he's bringing this thing you're, you're a part of the church uh the manifold wisdom that's like manifold is all different varieties of ways the wisdom of god might be made known just to this earth just to other people no it's actually something that is supernatural that the wisdom might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places like in the church you are making known the riches of Christ to spiritual realms. Okay, that's Paul. He decided to wax a little deep there, and he does, and he finally gets to our text, and he returns to this. Okay, now that you understand the, what the church is doing and your place in the church, not just all that he's, how he saved you, but your purpose in the church, I want you to know that for this reason. Explain Ephesians 2, the beginning of 3. Now I'm going to say another prayer for this reason. And he gets to this prayer, and it's beautiful. I mean, just read this and ponder it, and then read it again. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Again, this is that heaven and earth thing. All authority Jesus has in heaven and earth. It's like an all-encompassing power of somebody that he's praying to, who has named every family on earth. There's a lot of families represented here, right? He's named your family. What does that mean? It means that he has given identity, like he is the identity to every, he's named, he's not, in, 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 in verse 9 of this, where he's talking about all, he talks about God being the creator of all. So most of us know that, yeah, creator of, of all. But what does it mean that he's addressing him as the father who's named every family? Why would he say it that way? Why don't you say creator or this, that, what name? He just wants to know every family has an identity in God, in Christ Jesus. He wants them to know that, that, that they are who they are because of who he is. It's like their identity is in Christ. Every family he has named. He hasn't just created them, but he's named them. I mean, it kind of makes you feel like, wow, my family has this unique thing that God's named over me. And he has. To be named is to be given that identity. God's present action in the naming of every family is a further affirmation of his sovereignty over all creation. Didn't just create it, but named it. Oh, it's just neat that, that Paul's praying this. He's, he's saying God gives you identity. He names everything. He's God over all. He's just sovereign. He's so much more powerful than you could ever imagine. His sovereignty of, of how he even names things is, is powerful beyond our understanding so he's just kind of opening up with that but then he says and i'm moving pretty quick through these things paul models supplication he bows his knees in humble adoration paul models the greatness of who the father is that he's not just creator i mean not to say just creator or something but he is the sovereign over every family he's named every family and then paul moves and models what to ask for and this is the part we like we like asking this is good we should it's humbly asking. We realize he's the creator. We realize he's named us. And we realize he's the creator and we're the creature, right? We're, we're, that's that, that humility and asking. So we come to him and we ask. 
What do we ask for? Well, we, ask, we, we admit that we're weak and we grow weary. And one of the main things he brings back from Ephesians 1 is you need to be strengthened with power in the inner being. In your inner being, in your inner a person of who you are. You need to be strengthened deep down in there in your core. And he prays for this. Again, strengthened that way. Not just, you know, feel, feeling your oats. You know, I'm talking about feeling deep in your heart, in your inner person, the power of God in your life. He's praying that in your inner being, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And the Holy Spirit is applying like the personal presence of God and making it real to you. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, what you're reading here is real. Hey, what you're praying here is real. You realize that, yeah, oh, okay, I was just mumbling some words. But now you just brought it home and you made it real. This is what Paul's praying for the church. Prayer is real. You're praying to a real, true God with real, true requests. And his pers- the Holy Spirit makes his personal presence and power manifest. That means made known in prayer. He's praying for that. Oh, I might have experienced it here and there or a little bit here and there. Paul's saying, I want more for you. I'm praying for you that this happened. The personal presence and power of God in your inner being would be made known to you. And he goes on and says, the, the nature of this strength is the ability to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. So we need to plumb this, Paul saying. I, I kind of got it. Yeah, he loves me at the cross. Jesus died. You know. <sighs> no. I mean, Paul's praying. There's depths to this that's immeasurable. Depths that you can seek for the rest of your life. And you'll never begin to even plumb the depths of his love for you in Christ. He's saying, and, and, and he's saying there's wits to this. I mean, you can't, you just go down and you plumb. That's great, right? Or you, you go off this way, and it's like, yes, I got to plumb the wit. This is really wide. His love is really wide. And, and, you know, the opposite of depths is heights. And you get up there in the heights of his love, the wits, and then the links. And you just start going into the links of his love. And you never get there in any of them. But Paul is praying, and we can pray this for each other. Man, show grace harvest. Show the church. Show my friends. Show my family. Let them. Let them see you in their inner being. They need to be strengthened. They need to see the depths of your manifest love. The depths and the heights and the wits. And a lot of, a lot of people go, well, you know, this. You know, How can I relate to that? How can I? What is this like? love of God in Christ Jesus. It's sacrificial. It's always sacrificial. That's where it gets kind of hard, isn't it? Like love always costs you. It always costs you something. If it doesn't cost you anything, it is not love. I mean, love is sacrificial at its nature. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you, man. Love is going to cost you your time. Love is going to cost you in commitment, whether you really are going to love in that commitment. It's going to cost you, and what it costs God is his blood. It costs him, and the Bible says that life is in the blood. And it costs Jesus his blood. And if you allow me, I'll switch to Peter. And this is what Peter says about the blood. He says that knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal 
ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's what he ransomed with you. It cost him. Ransom is paying. Ransom is paying what was owed for you, and it was paid for you in the only way that it could be paid to redeem you, which is in the lifeblood of Jesus himself on the cross. Sacrificial atonement is at the core of everything that love is. And Paul is praying, I pray you comprehend this. I pray the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom and revelation and understanding and knowing and comprehending what this love is about. I know most all of us here know to some degree the love that God had for us in Jesus, but the Apostle Paul is praying for more. He's praying for more. And a lot of people don't like love costing Love especially being having to do with this blood sacrifice. There's a lot of mockery in our world about, oh, you sing about the blood and all these sacrifices and this lifeblood giving. It's, uh, you know, that God took his son and, you know, crucified him because he loved you. It sounds more like, and one secular writer wrote, sounds like child, uh, cosmic child abuse. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's big in the secular world. Oh, the cross is nothing in this blood. These Christians, it's like, you know, God, you know, you know, did this torture thing for his son so that he could save other people. It's like this cosmic child abuse story. And wow, what a perversion of the love of God in Christ Jesus that he gave himself for it. And the world knows at their heart that love cost you and that it cost you your life. True life-changing love is what I'm talking about. Love that actually has the power to transform a heart really cost you time, commitment, and your very own lifeblood. It does. They know that. It's in all the stories. All the best stories. Uh, you know, uh, A Tale of Two Cities for some of the older folks. You know, come on. You know, Charles Dickens. You know, Charles Darnay and um, Sidney Cotton, you know, they look a lot alike. They love the same woman, uh, but Darnay gets the woman. He marries her. Sidney Cotton is this person that, you know, he's on the outskirts. He's a friend, but then it ends up that Darnay is going to get the guillotine. And he realizes that the love of his life really loves her. And they have this thing together. And he goes in, and he knows that Charles Darnay won't let him do this, but he looks so much like him. They're kind of like twin-looking brothers. He goes in and sneaks into prison, and he knows he can't just ask him, like, hey, I'm going to substitute my life for you. This is love. Not just for him, but for her to have her husband back. So he has to knock him out, you know, with the... You know, he sneaks up behind him, puts him to sleep, has somebody carry him out, and then dies in his place with the guillotine. Substitutionary sacrifice. That's what love is. All love costs you, and it's in our stories. It's in the best of stories. It's in the Star Wars story. Man, think of it. Luke, you know, just he's going he's gonna to get Anakin back, his dad, you know, and he's dying, and, the, you know, it's, it's like the emperor's going to kill him, and then... What happens, man? Then you have the substitutionary sacrifice of Anakin coming back and grabbing the emperor and electricity. <laughs> throws him out. <laughs> but it kills him, right? Uh, uh, 
He dies. I mean, you know, there it is. Love requires substitutionary sacrifice. And Paul wants you to know the depths of Christ's love. He died in your place. He took on you and died the criminal's death that you deserved for your own sin. And he died for you. And it's in all of our stories. It's in our books. It's in, I could go on and list a bunch of stories where this is. But in our hearts, even in the secular world's heart, they know love is substitutionary sacrifice. It's not cosmic child abuse. It's the greatest love story of all time that is actually fully true. Amen? Amen. We're going to celebrate communion together, the Lord's table, and sing a final song of praise to Jesus, who is our Messiah. We have these available in the chairs in front of you. You don't pass this around if anybody else needs one of these the Lord Jesus himself instituted this for his church the apostle Paul reminds us about it and corrects some things about Communion and the Lord's table at the church at Corinth. And at that church, he says, the Apostle Paul says, In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, This is my body. Take and eat of it. It was given for you. Let's partake of the body of Christ represented here in this bread together. Wow, Father, thank you so much for Jesus, your son, giving up his body for us, his body broken, that we might be restored. We give you praise and we thank you for the gift of your son and we remember him. We remember you, Jesus. And it's as powerful and more powerful today as it was when you offered up your body upon that tree. Became a curse for us. Absorbed all of our curses that we might receive the blessings from our father. Thank you. Thank you. We give you thanks. In like manner, he took the cup. It was full of the fruit of the vine. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant given in my blood for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I return. Let us partake of the cup together. Thank you, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for your great love that spilled over into this world and ransomed it and redeemed it. 
through your blood, through the blood of Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus, our Messiah. Anoint our hearts to sing and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus Messiah. 